0: This is Pastor Patrick Hines, and I want to press on a little bit here in the Westminster Confession of Faith and looking at Scripture and looking at uh, the Christian faith, looking at what it is that God, the one true living God, has revealed uh, about uh, the world that we live in and why He created what He did and how He executes His plans, His decrees, and His works of creation and providence. So we finish the uh, second chapter of the Westminster Confession. The first chapter is on the doctrine of scripture or revelation. And the second chapter is is on the doctrine of God, God as a trinity of persons that are co-equal, co-powerful, consubstantial. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God uh, who exists eternally as three divine persons. And then we come to, logically, what would come next. And that is uh, that... God has decrees. God has a plan that he will execute in time and space. And so this chapter of the, of the confession is of God's decree. And when you think of the word decree, just think of uh, God's plan. And that's really what the, the term is referring to. God has a plan for what he created and for how he upholds his creation by his works of providence. Okay, so God executes His decrees, His plans, and His works of creation and providence. So God has a purpose for everything that comes to pass in the world. Uh, so the Westminster Confession, Chapter 3.1. This the, this chapter has eight points. Okay, and so this is uh this is pretty important stuff, and it's uh, very detailed. And we'll look at a number of passages of Scripture here. Uh, but the first point says God, from all eternity, did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. And so whatever comes to pass is ordained by God. Now immediately that raises a lot of questions, because a lot that comes to pass is very bad, um, is very evil, um, and is, is unspeakable in some cases because it's so awful. And the confession goes on here and we'll we'll talk about this in detail. Yet so, as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures. In other words, nothing, no one, is forced to do anything that they don't want to do. And that's the thing that you got to remember. Human beings will always do whatever it is they desire to do the most. And more on that in a moment. Nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. Okay, so first, it's important to remember and to understand and to know that God freely and unchangeably ordains whatever comes to pass. Whatever comes to pass. And there's a passage of scripture in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, that states explicitly that this is the case. Isaiah 46, verse 10. And here in Isaiah chapters 41 through 48, you have a, a very unique and very interesting block of biblical text where God puts the false gods, the the true God puts the false gods on trial. And one of the ways, one of the key ways that God differentiates himself from idols is his ability to know what's going to happen in the future and to know what has happened in the past and also to know and to understand and explain why what happened in the past happened and what's going to happen in the future and why it's going to happen as well. And so Isaiah 46.10 is a a very important verse of Scripture. There are many uh, throughout Isaiah chapters 41 to 48. Just think of when you uh, are thinking about the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 41 through 48, those chapters are the trial of the false gods. Now, one of the ways that God shows himself to be God, it says in verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient time times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Okay, so that, that is not saying, well, the, the the big things and the things that are important, God, God, you know, takes care of that stuff, but everything else is just kind of up to man's free will or just kind of happens randomly or whatever. This is declaring the end from the beginning. From the end. Of time from the beginning of time, and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, "My counsel shall stand." That word, that Hebrew term, "counsel," is the the word "etzah," etzah, and that's an important term because it means decree, it means plan, God's decree, His plan was done, obviously, from before the foundation of the world. it was done pre-creation. How how else could it declare the end from the beginning? If it's, if it declares all things that happen, things that are not yet done, the end from the beginning saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure, uh, how else could uh, he do that unless the decree is pre-creation? It declares the end from the beginning, and that That council, that plan, it says there, shall stand. It shall stand. That's the Hebrew word, hum. Hum means immovable, unchangeable. And so Isaiah 46.10 teaches there is a pre-creation, since it declares the end from the beginning, Decree, etza, the term decree or uh, council. It's is uh, rendered into English there as council, but you could say decree. My decree shall stand. My plan shall stand, meaning it is firm, unchangeable, and and immovable. So there is a pre-creation decree that is unchangeable. That is the explicit teaching of that passage. And it's very clear. Now, people will immediately start trying to qualify that. Well, that doesn't include the free will decisions of man. That doesn't include sin. It doesn't include this. It doesn't include that. Well, we're going to see here in scripture that uh, it does include that. It it includes what uh, seemingly is of no consequence at all in the grand scheme of things. Uh, One of the clearest passages that, that enunciates this, Jesus, in order to minister comfort to people, points out that mundane things happen only by the will of God. Matthew 10, 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, just reflect on that for a moment. So sparrows do not die apart from Our Father, meaning God's will, apart from his plan, no birds ever die. Even the most common birds, these birds that were sold a couple for a copper coin, you could eat them, it was cheap food back then, not a single one of them ever dies apart from God's will. There's nothing random. Everything that comes to pass, everything that happens is ordained by God and has a purpose or that is ordained by God. Now, that does not mean that we will understand that purpose. Or that we will find perfect peace and comfort in that purpose. There's a lot that has taken place in my life and in my family that I don't understand. I don't know what God's purpose is for it. But that's why the Word of God encourages us again and again and again from front to back to trust God. God. You know, I heard a wonderful sermon from my dear brother, uh, Luke Stacy, this past Sunday night. It was on Psalm 93, and the title of the sermon was Yahweh Reigns. And what a great sermon, because that's what, those are the opening words of Psalm 93, Yahweh Reigns. Not man, not fate, not chance, God reigns. And God is the one who decrees the end from the beginning. He has written all of our days in his book. And even the death of sparrows. See, see, people are constantly wanting to try to say, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we believe that God is sovereign. Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes. God is sovereign. Oh, we believe in the sovereign God. But then they'll try to limit it to certain things. Only the big events. You know, when we debated uh, Eric Kemp and Drew McLeod, um, um, I cited this passage to get their thoughts on it. It says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And so help me, one of them, I, I can't remember which one it was, but he said, well, yeah, when lots are cast about big, important things, and I'm sorry, that's scripture twisting. That is eisegesis. That's eisegesis. Because it doesn't say that. Well, it's every decision about things that are really important, the, the big things the Lord controls, every throw of a dice, everything that seems insignificant, the death of sparrows, the number of hairs on our head. I mean, what could be more inconsequential than that? Whether the number of hairs on my head or the lack thereof is an odd number or an even number. Is that, does that make any difference in the grand scheme of things? No. But God is still sovereign over it. It's a classic argument from the lesser to the greater. If God is sovereign over the depths of sparrows, over how many hairs are on our head, and they're numbered in his eyes, in his mind, and the casting of lots, that's what's included in this decree, this plan that declares the end from the beginning and everything in between declaring the end from the beginning, information times, things that are not yet done. They all fall under that heading, God's sovereign decree and plan. Now, immediately, people are going are to bring up the most horrific atrocities in all of history. And say, you're saying God decreed that for his own glory? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he did. But I got something that's far worse than all of the atrocities and all of the worst crimes and forms of the most depraved and evil uh, forms of wickedness that have ever taken place. I got something way worse than that, that that was decreed by God. Crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. Crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. This is another thing that came when we debated the provisionist perspective, guys. They actually said it is possible that Jesus might not have been crucified. Now, I appreciate it when guys just come right out and say, yeah, yeah we don't believe God is God, and we're glowing heretics. I mean, because that, that's what that is. If you think it's possible... That all those prophecies about Jesus and the timing of his crucifixion, I mean, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel 9, about the, the 70 weeks and everything else and the, the death of Christ at the precise time. I mean, we, we were told in that debate, well, I mean, one way or the other, he would have, he would have eventually gotten him crucified. No, it's got to happen at, at a precise moment during Passover um, at that specific time that it took place. Unbelievable. I, I just couldn't believe that. But we know that it was going to happen exactly as it did. Jesus said it would. Jesus said, um, the scripture must be fulfilled, that this is how everything had to happen. But in Acts two twenty three, Peter, preaching there, says of the Lord Jesus, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. So Jesus' being delivered over to be crucified was by the plan, the counsel, of god horizo uh, Bule, horismene boulet the the marked off purpose council plan decree of god jesus was crucified now that was the most vile evil ever committed by a human being that outweighs all other evils combined in human history and it was predestined it was it was determined before by the purpose of God, to do what? To redeem his church. Another uh, passage of scripture, uh, when the early church was praying in Acts chapter 4, they prayed, the kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your servant, your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. Now, they're, they're talking about this as a fulfillment, a direct fulfillment of Psalm 2. That the the, the uh, nations have taken their stand. The rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Herod and Pontius Pilate fulfilled Psalm 2. So it's not possible that they might have decided to let Jesus go. Okay? When they conspired to crucify him, that was predestined to happen by Almighty God. And it is not possible that anything other than that could have happened. So that sin... Was decreed to take place in accordance with Herod and Pontius Pilate's desires, and in accordance with their natures. And that prayer continues to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. And there you have that this explicit term praorizo, uh, praorisen, as it's used there. That's a, an aorist um, indicative uh, active verb there to do what God's hand. They're praying to God the Father. They, they Herod and Pontius Pilate did what they had been predestined to do this was part of god's decree but god's not the one who did it he decreed that it would take place in accordance with the desires and the natures of these evil people and that's the thing you got to remember that's the thing to remember God is not the one who ever directly commits sin, but human beings acting in accordance with their fallen, sinful natures and their own wicked desires, they always, whether they like it or not, are carrying out God's predetermined plan. Now immediately, oh that's that's terrible. That's a libel on the character of God to think that all these horrible things that have ever happened in human history are actually decreed and and were were actually um part of God's plan, that God planned murder and, and wars and atrocities and everything else. Um, but if you're an Arminian or, or uh, you're a some other position that doesn't believe in it, in a sovereign tree creation decree, then you have to believe that God created knowing that all that stuff was going to happen anyway. So he's equally culpable for it. Here's the difference. Here's the difference between the Bible's teaching and that position that thinks there is no sovereign decree, there is no plan of God that encompasses everything that comes to pass. Here's the difference. I think that all that evil and all those atrocities and all that wickedness has a purpose. The other side doesn't. I do not believe that there is purposeless suffering in my life. I don't believe that there is purposeless evil out there in the world either. And you think, well, I just can't see any purpose. I know there's a lot that I don't, I don't see the purpose of. There's a lot that I've racked my brain. How could this bring God glory? Why? Very often I, I have asked myself that question. Why? Why has this happened? Lord, why would you do this? Why would you decree that this is going to happen? Why would you why would You do that? Why would you decree that I would suffer in this way or that way? Why would you decree that these people that I love would suffer in this? Why would you decree that I have to live day in and day out knowing that people that I love dearly are lost, are on their way to hell right now. Why would you do that? God, why would you do that? you got to make a distinction in your reasoning between the psychological impact of theology and the truth. And I'll tell you, what used to really get to me and really bother me is the one thing I find peace and solace and comfort in. God is sovereign. That used to be something that made my teeth mash. <laughs> And now it's, I pray for the people that I love who are lost. I pray for revival in the world. I pray for Jesus' church. And I'll tell you, the more of a vision I have of how great God is and how sovereign he truly is and that all that comes to pass will ultimately glorify him, I need to be still and know that he is God. Or Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that he is God. Know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That's all I need to know. And I'll tell you, this, this truth of the uh, sovereignty of God, it makes it so that you can do what Scripture says to do in 1 Peter 5, verse uh, 7, I believe it is. Let me pull it up here. Um, cast all your cares upon him. Yeah, 1 Peter 5, verse 7. L- listen to this passage. You, you can't do this unless you believe God is God, unless you believe that he has a sovereign, free creation, immutable decree. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Why can I cast all my cares upon God? Why can I cast all my all my cares upon God? This is going to seem like a cheesy answer, but I can do that because God is God. I can cast all my cares on him because he does have a sovereign plan, and it very often involves devastation to me it often it often includes a heartache that i can't even describe to you as so bad it often involves big bags under my eyes because i don't sleep well anymore because of the heartache that i have but even that even that is decreed by god yes it is yes it is God from all eternity did, by the most wise and holy counsel of His own free of, of His own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Ephesians 1:11. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. And of course, what do what do provisionists and other semi-pelagians and people that don't believe that God is really God? To, well, yeah, He He works all things that are big according to the, according to the counsel of His will. Remember what all Scripture says. That includes the death of sparrows. That includes how many hairs are on my head. That includes the throwing of dice and lots and all these little things that we think have no bearing, no significance of any kind. Even those things take place by the plan and decree and will and purpose of God. And I'll tell you, if you live for a while, you're going to learn either you trust God or you go nuts. Romans 11, 33 Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out God has an unchangeable plan and unchangeable purpose that unchangeable plan and purpose includes having mercy on whomever he wills and hardening whoever he wills Romans 9, 18 he has mercy on whom he wills and, and whom he wills he hardens Trying to turn that into, well, temporarily hardened Israel or nations, or that doesn't work. That, that denies the very applications that Paul himself makes in Romans chapter 9. God is not the author of sin. God does not tempt us. But all that comes to pass is in accordance with the nature of second causes. That means that human beings do what they want to do in accordance with their own desires and their own fallen nature. So when people sin, they're responsible for it. And that's the thing, you know, I was listening to... Um, an old dividing line, James White uh, responding to Norm Geisler. Uh, when a, a Norm, Norm Geisler's book, Chosen But Free, is one of the worst books I have ever read. And White's book, The Potter's Freedom, is a devastating refutation of Geisler's book. And Geisler put out an appendix that was embarrassingly bad. Embarrassingly bad. And White refuted everything in that uh, appendix, but Geisler seemingly didn't even believe in original sin man has this ability man man is able man is able to repent and believe in jesus and accept the the gospel and and to freely accept and to freely this and freely that and it's like he doesn't see all of the passages all of the not able passages that are in scripture now but here's the real issue here's the real problem why is it that man is not able to believe in Jesus? Why, why is man not able to come to Christ? Here, here it is. You ready? He doesn't want to. Why, why do people not repent and believe in Jesus? They don't repent and believe in Jesus because they don't have the desire to do so. And apart from the sovereign, irresistible grace of Almighty God, they will never have a desire to repent and come to Christ. You know, I've studied apologetics for years and years and years. I truly, I, I'm a presuppositionalist to the core. I use evidence, but I use it as a Christian. It, in the context of a fully committed Christian worldview, I don't use it as if it stands on its own. Uh, I, I believe in, you know, let's do apologetics. Let's, let's defend the Christian faith. But what's the real reason people won't repent and come to Christ? What's the real reason? Jesus spelled it out in John 3, 19, 20. This is the condemnation. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. And they will not come to the light, lest their deeds should be exposed. That's the problem. The reason that man is not able to repent, and he is not able to come to Jesus, as Jesus specifically said in John 6, 44, no one is able. It's just weird to read chosen but free. Man's able. He's able. He's able. He's able. Jesus says he's not able. I would encourage you to, to agree with, with Jesus on that one. But you need to understand, though, why? Why is man not able to come to Christ? apart from the sovereign, irresistible, effectual grace of God and that moment of effectual calling that is the outgrowth of his loving decree of unconditional electing grace. Why is man not able to come to Christ? Man's not able to come to Christ because man doesn't want to come to Christ. He doesn't desire to come to Christ. So God's sovereign decree, his immutable pre-creation decree, that's our only hope. And this uh, great chapter of the confession, and the dozens and dozens of passages that are that are cited here, um, I think will show that and bear that out even more as we go through. So we'll see you next time. Uh, sorry it's been a while. I've uh, been real busy. Um, my father died, did his funeral, and that was pretty rough. And that was a lot of a lot of time taken up with that. And I I know many of you already know that. And, I preached at his funeral. My mother asked me to preach at his funeral. It was a real blessing. It was an honor, a privilege to do that. And my father was a Vietnam veteran, and um, he got a military um, a salute there at his funeral. They um, gave my mother a folded American flag. That was very hard to watch uh, without collapsing. And then they played taps uh, off in the distance um, on a on a horn. And that, that really got to me because <laughs> my father went, was a Vietnam veteran. And they gave that folded American flag to my mother. Then I did a wedding about eight days later. And so it's, it's been a, a whirlwind and Christmas came and went, New Year's came and went, but I'm ready to get back in the saddle and start studying and preaching and getting back to it here. Um, but thank you for, to everyone who's prayed for me and my family. Uh, please do remember us in your prayers. And um, uh, thank you all so much for your love and encouragement, your comments and emails and things like that. I really appreciate that. It means a lot to me. Uh, But I love you all, and uh, thanks for watching or for listening.